Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. So welcome back, everyone, this week. I know it, it has been a very, very cold week all over the U.S. Uh, I know there are people that are tuning in from other places, but we have been freezing here all over the United States. But we're here, and today I'm really excited to talk to my guest, someone who is a uh, sociologist who has been studying uh, work-life fulfillment and happiness. So a number of you have written in and have talked about uh, your appreciation for us covering topics like wellness and happiness and how that applies in leadership context. And so today's guest is right in that same vein. Um, and we're and she's actually here to discuss her book, The Secrets to Happiness at Work. I know some people are kind of rolling their eyes saying, Happiness, work, don't go together. Um, but today we're going to talk about that, how to choose and create purpose and fulfillment in your work. So she's she's the vice president of uh, worksite insight, uh, Workplace Insight for Steelcase um, and contributes regularly uh, where I was introduced to her, both Forbes and Fast Company. You heard me uh, talk about people that I've seen in those uh, uh, two publications. And so I'm pleased to to introduce you to Dr. Tracy Brower. Welcome, Tracy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our conversation. Well, I am happy to have you here. Um, I have to tell you um, what I you know read uh, a number of the things that you have written and um, I want to talk to you about your book, um, but I'd like I'd love to start uh, as by asking you. I know you've been you know you've you've been a, an executive, um, and and usually people don't think a lot about happiness from a workplace uh, workplace perspective because I've historically heard people say things like, "Look, you come here to work." And you do all that other stuff at home. Have people love you at home. And, you know, have people, you people, your friends outside of work. So tell me how you got started, given that you've been in an, an executive in the workplace and how what made you get interested in workplace happiness? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, for me, I think it has to do with um, actually what you're pointing to, right? Like so many people say, ah, oh, work is a grind, work is, you know, the salt mine, there's work, and then there's everything else good in life. And I actually think work is a really fundamental place where we um, get to contribute our skills and talents, where we can contribute to our community, where we can make connections, where we actually can make friends because more and more people are not connecting with others outside of work. Yes. So work ends up being a really important nexus for that. I was working on a, um, I was working on a session this morning about change management and uh, there was this great quote I was adding to the deck. It was something like, not all employees are formal leaders, we're all leaders one way or the other, but the quote was, not all employees are formal leaders, but all leaders are employees. Yes. And I think that, like you're pointing to the executive experience, I think we all deserve a level of fulfillment yes. in our work, no matter what kind of role we're in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it, it's interesting that uh, before I ran across your work, and it's funny how the universe works, is that um, I read a book um, that uh, it, it, it's from Gallup surveys, but I'm sure you're familiar with John Clifton. Um, he wrote a book called Blind Spot. 
And it the, the subtitle is The Global Rise in Unhappiness and How Leaders Missed It. And and so shortly thereafter, then I run across your articles and in, in I think the first one was in Forbes, and then I started digging and and got to you in Fast Company. Um, was then I started reading about your work about the importance of that that intersection um, and actually considering it. Um, as I mentioned to you before we got started, uh, I, I am a professor in a program that teaches leadership. So it's in a department of organization and leadership. And we have, we have historically uh, introduced our students uh, who are master's degree students in this program to meet uh, meditation and mindfulness. And so since I took over as the director, we've started having conversations and integrating what we're referring to as wellness in leadership into uh, as a as a part of how you understand your role as a leader, that you you really have to focus on your wellness, but also the wellness of people in your organization. And that was the connection I saw where I was so excited to talk to you um, because some of that has to do with how people feel about the work they do. So some of the other work with um with with that I I've I've been involved with with Gallup talks about the connection of people feeling good about their work and being more productive, being happy and being more productive. So I'd love to hear your 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 uh, take on that th that real intersection where leaders being responsible for thinking about the wellness and happiness of people in their in their workplace. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, three really, really important concepts come to mind as you're talking. Um, one is, I think we've got this myth about happiness that like we always have to be happy and, you know, the birds are singing and the, you know, I don't know, the butterflies are flying and but actually happiness is super linked to um, positive stretch, positive challenge. And I think it's um, absolutely naive to think that like work is just going to be this happy, happy moment. Right. But we can create the conditions for happiness within work. Um, and we can talk about how we do that, but um, but that's a really important part of it. We're not trying to like make it smooth sailing and perfect comfort all the time, but we wanna create um, conditions with things like purpose and stretch and meaning and um, connections. That's one I think that's really important. Another one has to do with just the benefits of happiness. Like there's so much research. Happiness is not fluffy. We think about it as a fluffy concept. Absolutely. Right? But we get great organizational benefits. We get great personal benefits from longevity and reduced illness yes. to um, better discretionary effort and more productivity and better self-esteem. So all of that's super important. So that's the second thing I would say is, you know, like, let's not think about it as fluffy as much as popular press wants us to go there. And I think the other thing that's super important is that there we we sometimes put it on leaders to make everybody happy, right? Especially with talent revolution and attraction and retention and engagement and the emotional labor of leaders is really significant. And I like to say that leaders are not responsible for other people's happiness. Like we are responsible for our own well-being, for our own happiness, for our own sense of joy, all that. But leaders are responsible to create the conditions for it, right? So 
everybody's responsible for their own, but leaders also have a role to play. So yeah. I think that's another one that can be a bit of a myth. And I think we can bust that myth yeah. just a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you, you used a term positive stretch. I, I'd love to hear more about that. Oh my gosh, I love this concept so much. There is so much uh, research, data, academic study mm -hmm. on the extent to which we get a greater sense of joy and happiness when we push ourselves. Um, there's a difference between comfort and discomfort and psychological safety, right? Like we want lots of psychological safety. We want people who are going to back us up. We want people who are going to care about us, people who are going to, you know, love us no matter what, right? Love literally or figuratively in the work environment. But then we also want to be in a situation where we can be pushed, where we can um, test our limits, where we can solve hard problems, where we can roll up our sleeves to try something that we have not figured out before. Um, when we are pushing ourselves, there is um, just a lot of um, positivity that results from that because we learn about our new capabilities. Often we connect with other people in new ways because we're usually not solving things by ourselves anymore. We really, really learn who we can count on. We really learn about what our key priorities are. And so um, there's the concept of eustress. Like we tend to think of all stress as bad, right? Yes. But yes. There's a Goldilocks rule of stress when you have just enough, right? Like you want something to push you to get off the couch. You want something yes. to push you toward the next yes. thing. Yes. And eustress is this um, situation where you have enough stretch to motivate you, enough challenge to motivate you, but not so much that you're just hanging on by your fingernails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's fascinating, a fascinating concept. And you you mentioned change. Um, you know, I, I've studied a lot in neuroscience and and what we know about what happens to the brain is that the brain tells you, no, 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 change. That's not that's not a good thing in terms of what's going on with the brain because it's a it's a survival thing. And and but that we also know, understanding the concept of neuroplasticity, um, is that you can do enough of that where the brain says, oh, this is, we do this all the time, right? We, we, we shift, we change. And so that's common. I'm not worried about surviving. And, and I think some of that applies here when we're talking about um, happiness is thinking about those challenges that you just talked about as this is the way it, this is the way the world is, this is the way life is. And so embracing those and thereby increasing where you are, how you feel about even challenging situations, right? Yes, exactly. Yeah, there's some great research on post-traumatic growth. We all know PTSD, right? Chronic, really, really serious condition. Post-traumatic growth is when you go through something really hard and you come out on the other side better for it, right? You've learned about yourself. You've learned about your priorities. You've built your capabilities. And that has to do with this neuroplasticity. Um, we actually, super interesting, um, our, we can be under an amygdala hijack, right? Like mm -hmm. that's the mm -hmm. issue yeah. in our brain where our brain is like, ah, fight, flight, you know, fly, whatever yeah. we can do, right? Um, and, uh, and an amygdala hijack can get in the way of us seeing clearly, responding clearly. But interestingly, we can inoculate ourselves related to stress. Like the more you go through hard things, actually the better you get at it. And interesting research on thriving. 
thriving research comes out of um, child development research and elite athletes. And thriving always has two components. Thriving has a component of, um, you know, great performance, personal best. I ran my sprint faster than I've ever run it. Yes. But thriving always includes an aspect of striving, growing, going to the next thing. And that is super motivational. The other thing that I always like to talk about is the paradox of happiness, right? Yes. We are happiest when we work hardest for something. Mm -hmm. If something's handed to us, ah, it's wonderful, right? I'll enjoy it. But our happiness will last longer and be deeper if we've worked hard for it. So think about relationships. Think about accomplishments in our personal life. Think about parenting. Think about, you know, aunting and uncling. Think about, um, you know, things we've accomplished at work. All of those often take a lot of work, but in a good way. Yeah, sure. So first, uh, now I want to kind of pivot to talk a little bit about your book. Um, So you, you talk about how individuals might create purpose and fulfillment in their work. Um, I, I One piece of advice that I had to learn myself, kind of the hard ways, but but the advice I've given my, my children, but I've also um, given to so many people I've coached, uh, whether it is about career shifts or about choosing a career. In, in the case of my children, I've said, Uh, really just be happy doing what you do, because if you are, and you've heard this before, I'm sure that you'll never work. It'll never feel like work. And, and so I've had a number of people who've said to me, uh, or even asked me, do you ever sleep? And I'm like, yeah, I I actually sleep a lot and quite well. And they're like, but you get so much done. And I say, well, because it's because I really like what I do. And I really believe that, that I'd like what I do. In fact, I love what I do. And what makes it so easy to me is because it doesn't feel like work. And and so, but but I'm in a position now where for the most part, I am choosing um, and I'm creating purpose. Um, so let's start first from the point of the person that's not the leader what would your advice be to them where you're not in a leadership role? People are almost putting on you what your responsibilities are, what you should be doing. So how do you create purpose? And certainly how do you create fulfillment if you're not in kind of a decision-making role? Yeah, that's a really fair question. And I'm a huge believer that all work has dignity, right? Like Mm, every single person working is making some contribution to the whole, no matter how small that contribution feels like it is. And I'm also a really big believer that, you know, like we can have a sense of purpose without solving world peace or world hunger. Like purpose is a lowercase p, right? Mm-hmm. It's the little thing we do every day that matters to something, someone else, the little thing we do that someone else is counting on. And I think one of the things we can do is um, really remind ourselves of how our work matters, how it ladders up to something bigger. So maybe we work in the accounts payable department at the university, but 
you know, we're, we're helping students with their financial records and, and record keeping, and that ladders up to them being able to get a great education, right? Mm -hmm. Or maybe we work on a production line and, and the widget that we make goes into a hospital bed and, and a crank. And so the crank allows people to go home sooner because they're not getting bed sores, right? Like there's always a way to ladder up what we're doing. So I think one is to remind ourselves that just the act of working actually has a great value, right? There's a value to us being part of society, making that contribution and the nature of our work. We can really think about laddering that up to a greater sense of purpose. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like what you're saying the, in terms of the the working theory, if you will, here is really connected to the discipline of uh, positive psychology, that it is about mindset. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, mindset has a really lot to do with it. In fact, this is interesting. There have been, there's been some research on the physiological responses to stress. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if people believe that stress is bad, the physiological responses will be more negative. But if people believe that stress is good, they will perform better and the physiological responses will be more positive. In fact, one of the places this um, this experiment has been carried out in a number of places, but one was with um, college students on an exam. And yes, like when they thought, them. when they were primed that stress was a bad thing, they performed less well when they were stressed on the exam. And the opposite was true. When they believed that stress was going to, you know, help galvanize them and help motivate them and help them access all the information that they needed for the exam, boom, they performed better. Right. So yes, mindset actually makes quite a big difference. Mm -hmm. And I think when we validate ourselves, and this is something leaders can do for others, right? Mm -hmm. Remind people how they matter, give them recognition, give them real feedback. When people feel seen, when they feel like they're, they're really connecting with the broader needs of the organization, like their contribution matters, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, I, and and you you beat me to what I what was gonna be my follow up because I I think certainly as leaders uh, that it's important and this is kind of the groundwork we were talking about uh, initially the conditions setting up the conditions for people to feel important and that their their work is important. I've often had to tell leaders about their their kind of workplace culture that making sure that people understand that the work that you're doing is has a as a has a higher purpose even though they may not see it individually uh, but to remind people how important they are to uh fulfilling that and and that makes a big difference i've often seen in my own organization where of course it's important for people to have paychecks but just those opportunities for them to to feel good about their work seems even more important than the paycheck. Yes, exactly. And feedback is a really important part of that, too, because mm -hmm. sometimes it's not just, oh, you know, hearing you've done a great job. Yeah. It can be hearing, you know what? Ah, oh, let me give you some coaching. Here are ways that you can improve, right? So, again, it's not this like fluffy, ooh, la, la, we're going to make everybody feel good but we want people to feel seen. We want them to feel like their work matters. And when people are held accountable, that is true demonstration. Like, hey, we're counting on you. We need your best. Let me yeah. give you some coaching, right? Well, so I think sure. it's a great point. 
Yeah, we and, and I, I do think that conversations about happiness um, are are kind of required in this um, to really for leaders, particularly to understand where individuals in the organization are. What would be your advice uh, to how to do that? Uh, because I know even in in annual reviews, I've I found myself asking kind of open-ended questions at times. How do you feel? How, I, how do you feel about your work? Are things going the way you want them to go? Now, these are just over the years, questions that I've asked just to try to gauge whether or not people feel fulfilled. And, mm -hmm. and I've also had other leaders say, that's just not my, you know, that's on them. That's too much for me. But, but my approach has just been about asking and where I can also making the connection for them when the time or the opportunity arises to say, remember when you said, I've been thinking about that. So they, that gives them value and they uh, they know you're listening but to say i remember when you said here's something you wanted to do and i want you to have that opportunity because i think it will make you feel better about the work we're doing um but what would be your advice to leaders about some strategies that they can employ to help set up those conditions for uh, workplace happiness yeah, I mean, I love your point. I think the first thing we do is ask lots of questions, ask people. I think sometimes we make assumptions about happiness, right? Like usually people say, oh, that means climbing, that means greater and greater locus of control, that means, right? But different people have different priorities in terms of what will be most fulfilling to them mm -hmm. over their life course, right? Not just based on generation, but based on life stage. And so I think asking questions about what's important to people asking questions about what they need to succeed. Because um, in addition to purpose and learning, another condition for happiness is performance. So we can't always have people doing exactly what they want to do, yeah, right? Like yeah, there's that yeah. Venn diagram. Um, you want to be able to do as much of as what you love as what is aligned with your responsibilities. And so leaders can help align that as much as possible, right? Give people work that they like, that they can perform well in, um, and ask questions about what that looks like. I think um, another thing to do is maybe to ask less about, gee, are you happy? Gee, are you fulfilled? Gee, are you... And instead, ask more about those conditions that line up toward happiness. Because one of the really, really interesting things about happiness is the more you pursue it for its own sake, the less likely you are to achieve it for two reasons. One, you're focused on what you don't already have. Otherwise, why would you be chasing it? And two, you're focused on yourself. And that is negatively correlated with happiness. We tend to be happier when we're thinking about others, when we're thinking about giving back, when we're thinking about making a contribution. Mm -hmm. So instead of leaders asking, gee whiz, how happy are you? Gee, how is it going for you? A lot of times it can work better to ask people, gee, do you, you know, to what extent is there a sense of meaning? To what extent are you motivated by your work? To what extent are you getting the learning opportunities do you want? To what extent is your work aligned with what you think you're really good at? To what extent are you um, feeling connected with coworkers? In what ways might you, you know, um, uh, take initiative on a new project? What ideas do you have for the next innovation, right? Those are related to the conditions for happiness and therefore are especially meaningful questions that we can ask people. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You you just said something that really resonated with me as a question about asking people how are they feeling connected with coworkers. Very early on, you you also mentioned about the importance of the workplace. And I I can say certainly, and I I have no empirical evidence of this, but I'm thinking in this post-COVID world, what we hope to be, right? (laughs) Post-COVID world um, is that um, what I've seen in the United States is that, and what really uh, appears to be in the United States is that people have retreated in ways that I wouldn't have imagined, even in some of our largest cities. So post-COVID, I've been in Miami, I've been in New York and Los Angeles, Chicago, and that earlier and earlier places are closing. Um, Earlier and earlier people are, it's almost, it feels like they are leaving work and going straight home, right? But what you said earlier in the broadcast was about the growing importance of work, and I, I, I think, at least what I took from that was importance from a social development perspective. And so, um, as I think about that, so I, so I'm, I'm talking strictly about the U.S. because in my travels to Europe and Middle East and South America and Asia since COVID. I am, I am absolutely, it's, it's remarkable how people seem to be, to me, to be out even more than they were. Um, and so, but it's different. It feels different in the U.S. And, and so I, since the U.S. market is kind of the primary listening audience, I would love to hear what, what that social development aspect looks like for us in cultivating happiness in the workplace now, at least what appears to be a response in the U.S.? Yeah, this keeps me up at night. If anything keeps me up at night, it's this, right? It's the broader social patterns and the role of work is being expanded. Um, We have a loneliness epidemic. People are reporting they don't have close friends. We have a mental health epidemic, increases in depression, anxiety, even suicide. Um, We have uh, reductions in civility that are measurable in terms of the U.S. um, experience. And people feel really disconnected. And I think one of the things that's happened is we've elevated convenience over connection. Mm. We don't talk to the barista anymore. We order on the app. We don't talk to the checkout person anymore. We get the shipment to our door. Um, And And we check out on our own, right? Yeah. yeah. And we check out on our own. That's exactly right. And superficial connections are statistically correlated with happiness. Like when Mm. I chat with the person at the, you know, across the pump at the gas station, that actually matters. And so what's happening is in, in lieu of those work becomes increasingly important as a point where we feel connected and work is uniquely suited for those connections because Friendship usually takes about 60 to 200 hours to build. That is according to some research by Jeffrey T. Hall. Um, Work gives us continuity. Even if we're shifting jobs pretty frequently today, we still get a sense of continuity over some period of time. We get to know each other. 
we get to know each other over task and relationship, right? Yes. We roll up sleeves, we solve the problem, we deal with the customer issue, and we run into each other at the coffee machine and talk about our, you know, weather. Um, and we see each other through goods, goods and bads. We see each other through ebbs and flows, right? I see you on the day when you're celebrating. I see you on the day when, oh, not so much. Mm. And so those three elements of the work experience end up being um, really important to the connections and the bonds and the bridges that we create with each other. So all the debates about, you know, hybrid work, remote work, in-person work, I think remote is here to stay. Yes, but yes. I believe that in-person work is going to continue to have a critical role to play because of all things like innovation and performance and, mm -hmm. you know, paybacks and discretionary effort, but also because of our human condition and our need to connect in meaningful ways and work being a really pragmatic place where that can occur. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, listen, I know we're, we're at the end of our time. Um, those of you listening, I want to remind you uh, about uh, Tracy Brower's new book, The Secrets to happiness at work, how to choose and create purpose and fulfillment in your work. Uh, definitely a recommended book. So Tracy, tell us, where can people find you? I mentioned earlier about your contributions to Forbes and Fast Company, but where can people find your work? Do you have any TED Talks or anything, uh, social media handles, email addresses you want to share, uh, websites at this time? Um, I'm sure there are many people that want to jump in and learn more about your work. Yeah, thank you for asking. I really appreciate it. You're right. Secrets to Happiness at Work is available from all booksellers. <laughs> um, my first book was actually called Bring Work to Life, which talks about alternative ways to think about work-life balance and how mm -hmm. we can do better than balance. Again, it's available wherever books are sold. Um, I'm uh, Tracy Brower, PhD on LinkedIn. No E in Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y. Brower, um, PhD on LinkedIn. Um, my website is tracybrower.com and all of my publications, articles, books are there. My TED talk is there so you can access it. Um, you can actually go to Forbes and uh, search Brower and you can follow me on Forbes. You can also do searches on uh, Newsweek, uh, Fast Company, other kinds of um, publication platforms and you can find me there. I'm on, uh, I'm on um, Unsplash with my super amateur photography um <laughs> and i'm on um of course twitter and instagram all the all the usual social channels so uh look for tracy brower the tracybrower.com is a good starting place and um of course i'm the vice president of workplace insights for the amazing company called steelcase i'm super biased toward this organization and steelcase.com has tons of great resources as well Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you again. You've added to me today and I'm sure you've added to uh, our audience and uh, I'm, I'm very hopeful that our paths will cross again. Um, but until then, go well, stay well. Thank you.